0: doing the dinner parties it isn't about being hyacinth bucket and having a revolving door of guests in your house non-stop we then looked at how we can use our unique gifts and talents to serve God and show welcome to others and extend God's amazing invitation the welcome of love to those around us and she reminded us of God's invitation to come to him then I looked at the idea of what we, sh- how we should show welcome, and who we should show welcome to. And Rachel helped us understand the idea of being humble and serving one another. And last week, Joe helped us, taught us how to be flexible in our approach to hospitality and how Jesus used different approaches in different situations. Now today is our last um, chapter of the series, and there's a bit of a tradition in the teaching team that often when we do the last of a series we think it's a good idea to do a team teach or a tag team preach where we have a couple of us sometimes more getting up and uh, doing a bit each but there's a problem usually it's Will and Vicky and Vicky isn't here today and was never going to be here today and we're like what do we do so today instead of Will and Vicky we've got myself Phil and Will so don't know whether we are calling it Will or Will or something like that but we're going to each do a little bit and work together as we look at this idea of becoming inclusive and to start with we're just going to read together from uh, Mark 11 15 to 17 and this is what it says so Mark 11 15 to 17 it is going to be on the screen as well On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? So
1: as we uh, conclude this series, I hope that you've all been praying about and thinking about how you can show extraordinary hospitality in your homes, in your communities. I know that some of you um, had already decided to take in uh, Ukrainian refugees and that's, like, that's amazing, that's brilliant. And some of you have been thinking about dinner parties. For our, for our little house group, we, we thought we'd take a massive risk and we decided to allow Phil Miles to come for one of our series in our house group. Now we're not sure yet whether it's whether that was a wise thing or not. Um but those are the sort of things we've got to take a risk, haven't we? Um but why does Jesus overturn tables? Well, Jesus knew that hospitality is the key to community. Hospitality is the key to community and without true inclusive community, religion is merely a dead set of rules and regulations. Think of the times that Jesus got mad in the Bible. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. When, when does he get really angry? Well, it was only ever when the religious systems of the day excluded those most in need of God. If you remember, he called the religious leaders whitewashed tombs and he did that because they looked spiritually perfect on the outside but inside was just dead rotting flesh Matthew 23:13 this is Jesus speaking "Woe well to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces you yourselves do not enter" nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You see, false religion loves to exclude. But according to James, James 1 verse 27, true religion is looking after orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself from being polluted. This is the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, looking after those who most need help, the ones that are outcast and the ones that are shunned by society. Think about when the woman was caught in adultery and the religious leaders brought her to Jesus. The religious system wanted punishment. They wanted to stone her to death. But Jesus shows mercy. Jesus recognises that we all sin, every single one of us. And if we are all judged by the wrong that we do, we would all come up short. So he says to the religious leaders who brought her to him, let he that is without sin cast the first down. And the Bible said they walked away one by one, the oldest first to the youngest. When Jesus was challenged by religious leaders about why he spent time with sinners, he answered, it's not the healthy you need, a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So if that's Jesus' mission, if that's Jesus' mandate, and if we're his disciples, I wonder what sort of person feels welcome in our church community. I wonder how included and comfortable the ones that we might call sinners feel when they come to visit Junction 10 to try to meet this physician, Jesus. There's two elements that I want to talk about briefly before passing back to Phil. On Jesus overturning the tables. And I think there's a practical element and there's a prophetic element. And practically... These tables, that have been very beautifully overturned here by Phil, thank you Phil, these tables had become barriers. They stopped people getting to God. So instead of being welcomed into a place of prayer, visitors are met with people who want their money. Uh, The irony is that in some ways, the selling of essential goods for the sacrifice was supposed to help worship. People, um, if they couldn't buy it at the temple, people would need to bring certain animals that were supposed to be without blemish a long distance to the temple. So actually having uh, things easy to purchase, maybe just outside the temple, rather than having to bring them on a long journey would have been helpful. But the way the system was set up was it actually benefited the merchants the ones who were meant to welcome people into God's house, um, you know, it became something different. When things originally intended for good become barriers or distractions, they can often replace true worship with something else. See, not only did buying and selling add to the bureaucracy of worship, but it priced many out of the market. You see, often the merchant, so if I'm a foreigner, I would come and I'd need to change my money because I wouldn't have the money of that particular region. So I'd go and have to change the money. That's where the money changers come in. Then I'd use my uh, currency to go and buy a dove or some other sort of animal to sacrifice. Well, of course, um, the people who were changing the money were charging extortionate prices. Actually, uh, we believe that often the scales would be tipped in their favour. So it wouldn't be fair, it would be loaded towards the merchants. And so that's why Jesus calls the money changers and the livestock sellers thieves. You have made my house a den of robbers. And just think, who were the ones that were most affected by this robbery? Well, of course, it was the poor, wasn't it? It was the poor who were priced out the market. It was the widows and the orphans, exactly the ones that should have been cared for by the true worshippers. So that's the practical element, but there's also a prophetic element. Look at what Jesus says. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. One of the main divisions in Jesus' day was between the Jews and the non-Jews, or the Gentiles. And only ceremonially clean Jews were allowed in the innermost courts of the temple. But the outer court existed for the Gentiles and for those uh, people who maybe were uh, disabled or for some reason couldn't get into the inner courts because they weren't considered pure So there was a place where they could at least come and pray. They could come and worship God. The unclean could worship and pray to the God of Israel. But in Jesus' day, this outer court had become a marketplace, effectively taking the only worshipping space in the temple reserved for those who weren't allowed in the inner court. And when these pilgrims showed up with their foreign currencies, Uh, The money changers and the animal sellers took advantage of them. They overcharged. And worst of all, the priests and the religious elite responsible for safeguarding the temple from corruption not only permitted disturbances, but they were enjoying a cut of the profits. Now, today, in 2022, we may not have the same physical tables that were there in Jesus' day, But the thing is, since Jesus' death on the cross, we don't have those same sacrificial requirements that were demanded in the Old Testament. So we won't have tables and money changers and money lenders, unless, of course, Kev's on a a drive to raise money for the church building, and then we will have some tables, but hopefully he won't be dishonest, will he, Kev? Hopefully not. The place where we gather as Junction 10 here at Grace Academy, Darliston, whether it's on the temporary ark, where, wherever it is in our homes and families, the places where we gather, these are our outer courts of the Gentiles. This is where we need to offer an inclusive welcome. But I wonder what sort of restrictions we might inadvertently by accident create. Just as people in Jesus' day had become blind to the barriers that the tables presented, do we have our own invisible barriers? Maybe division. Perhaps our invisible table might be division. Maybe it would be exclusivity. Maybe that would be one of the hidden barriers. Or perhaps it's some unseen rules or regulations that are unneeded. And what Phil and I would like to do, we've been using um, this book as a bit of an outline for uh, the approach to teaching. And what we'd like to do is just share just a few stories from a couple of people who've encountered these sort
0: of barriers. Kai is new to the area and tries out the nearest church. He introduces himself to a group of people at the coffee bar, and they're friendly. But it's clear from the conversation, they have known each other for years. Soon he's got no idea what they're talking about, and no one stops to explain all the in-jokes. It feels like a club he could never belong to.
1: Layla grew up in a church, but left when her parents divorced. She spent the last 10 years looking for acceptance, but in all the wrong places and wonders whether she should try church again. She looks through the websites of some local churches. Everyone looks so polished and perfect, she thinks. They could never welcome a mess like
0: me. Mike has spent most of his twenties and thirties in and out of rehab. He's been clean for 15 years now and has recently come to know Jesus. His friend Zaid has been taking him to church. He likes the songs and people are friendly. But the pastor often preaches about the evil of alcohol and drugs. And every time he does, Mike feels condemned. Zayed has told him that all his sin has been forgiven. But he's starting to wonder, is there really enough grace for him? And in our
1: denomination, we've had issues with people being in, but excluded. So when I was researching the Assemblies of God, that's our denomination, for my PhD... I found that 20 or 30 years after the Pentecostal revival at Birthday algae back in the early 1900s, we had a younger generation that felt they had come to Pentecost too late. That if you weren't there in the glory days, you'd miss the boat. Phil, Phil Miles told me of the first time he came to Junction 10, and he's not, he's not allowing me to tell you whose seat he sat in, but he sat inadvertently in someone's seat. And the person who bought Phil was told, somebody came up to the person who bought Phil, tapped him and said, hey, Phil's sitting in this person's seat. Tell him to move. Shouldn't be sitting there. I personally remember going out for a culinary with a fairly large large group of Junction 10 leaders. But once we sat down at the table, the, the conversation was virtually all about back in the day. Do you remember when? And, and it wasn't on purpose. I, didn't feel, I wasn't purposely excluded, but I felt like a complete outsider because I couldn't relate to any of that because I wasn't there back in the day. And Vicky had similar issues for the first probably five years of our marriage where she was referred to by Master Junction 10 as Will's wife. <laughs> now, people hadn't even learned her name over that time. And it made her feel excluded. Now, you'll be happy to know the tables are turned and I'm now referred to as Vicky's husband. So, so God's got a way of bringing things around, hasn't he? But, but none of these Junction 10 stories are there to make us feel guilty or, or, or to complain. But it's just to give you some illustrations how even though we may ha- not have physical tables, we might not purposefully set out to exclude some people or make them feel unwelcome. It shows how easy it is for us to fall into habits that are not inclusive without realising it. So what will it look like for us as a Junction 10 community to intentionally step back and think about and pray about, identify and remove any of those hidden barriers? When the people of Jesus Christ gather It's meant to be a place of welcome where everyone can encounter God. Don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that anyone can come and do whatever they want and do their own thing or behave however they want, but it does mean that we're called to reflect God's image in the way that we welcome the outsider. So whereas the religious system of the day had tables that were barriers, Jesus talks of a different kind of table.
0: Phil. So let's see how Jesus explained this to the very people who were blocking others from coming to true faith for rules and their own standards, which were far from God. So Will's going to read for us Luke chapter 14. And this is the wedding banquet.
1: One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say, Friends, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind and you
0: will be blessed
1: Although they cannot repay you you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous
0: So here's Jesus at the house of some of the most important people in the day He had the ticket that everyone wanted He was in with the in crowd and The problem was he wasn't there because they wanted to show real hospitality and welcome. It's because they really wanted to find out more and catch him out. And this place was actually a place of division, exclusivity and unneeded rules, similar how to these religious leaders had conducted business in the temple. Because the guy who came in with the abnormal swelling, they, they weren't welcoming him. They were were using that time to honour themselves and make themselves feel important by where they sat. Jesus challenged them to widen their circle and think about who needed to be there rather than who they would invite and who was socially acceptable. So what happened next? I love that in question of sports, isn't it? What happened next? Well, Will will continue reading for us.
1: I've just bought a field and I must go and see it, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said. What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be
0: full. I
1: tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste
0: of my banquet. Now, that's quite a famous story in the Bible, and uh, we've done it in the past. We've sung the wedding banquet song, and me and Joe have done tours doing this on guitar and stuff like that. But uh, if you don't know, it's an old song that goes, I cannot come, I cannot come to your banquet. Don't trouble me now. I have married a wife. I have bought me a cow. I have fields and commitments that cost a pretty sum. Pray hold me excused, I cannot come. Thanks for the clapping. I don't know whether that was a slow clap, like, stop singing now. And you've got to be really careful that you get the married a wife and bought me a cow in the right order. Otherwise, that can be very offensive. But here, we often think about the people who didn't respond, the people who say, I'm not coming, and the excuses they give. And we can think today of friends and family and their answers if we welcome them to anything where they might find a whiff of faith or a whiff of Christianity. But actually... The real important thing is the invitation, the welcome. And Jesus is still inviting people to come to him. Here in this story, the wedding table, the banquet, isn't a barrier, but it's an invitation. And think about how the temple had become in the story, blocking people, and Jesus overturned those tables. Well, think about what then happened, about hopefully the barrier going away we hear that in Jesus's death the, the uh, veil that blocked people from God was torn in two and actually in that story we often think that when Jesus came into the table and got the whip and got rid of people the people selling things a lot of the time we think oh it's a spur of the moment but if you read in the gospels he actually went to the temple saw it And then came back a few days later. He looked and saw things were wrong and went away and then came back to make it different. And maybe we need to do that in our personal lives. Or even as a church where we want a community of believers with Jesus as a centre. We need to reset. As you see here, resetting things isn't always easy resetting things can be distracting resetting things can be uncomfortable it's not what we would usually do but sometimes we need to take a look and go what do we need to keep and what do we need to get rid of and rip away there are times in the youth group that I ran years ago and we were a big youth group and loads of brilliant stuff but actually there are times we were very cliquey if you were in, you were in. And people who came in almost had to battle to get through. And those are things that I look back on and go, that wasn't good. And at times it's how then you rip things away and make it more uh, accessible. Remember, Jesus came to change what was going on. Take away the rules and regulations that stop people connect with God. Isaiah 56, 6-7 says, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and give them joy in my house of prayer. That was what Jesus said when he was overturning the tables. But also today in Lectio 365, which many of us follow, he was talking about that, the house of prayer. How do we make sure what we do as a church is being a house of prayer? Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For the house of prayer will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exile of Israel, I will gather still others to them beside those already gathered. So that's Old Testament talking about welcome, talking about inclusion. Jesus wants us to, as a people to welcome and not put barriers up. And we've already heard from Will how inadvertently the church across the world can sometimes put barriers in through tradition and personal preference. Remember, coming into church can actually seem quite daunting to people. And those of us who have been in church for a long time, sometimes we might not know that how it feels. There might be people today who go, well, I know because I've only come into this church recently. And you might say, oh, it's brilliant. Or you might say, oh, no, it really had to take me a while to find out what was going on. A while ago, I found out exactly what it feels to go into a group where they know what's going on and I don't. I went ballroom dancing. <laughs> now, obviously, you're not laughing because you know how fleet of foot I am, but there, I went into a ballroom dancing situation. It was a big ball at the Motorcycle Museum um, down in Coventry, lovely sprung floor, apparently. But there, I walked in and even though I was with people, firstly, people knew who I was because they knew I'd been invited. So they're like, oh, we know all about you. And you're like, oh, this is a bit weird. Then there were bits where they all changed their shoes. I hadn't got a change of shoes. Then there was bits where they knew it was ready to start dancing. I thought I might have a go at this. But it's not like Strictly, where a couple are doing it and they're all like, they all know the moves. So it's a bit like a barn dance without anyone telling you what to do. So they'd go, now we're doing a rumba too. And they were like, oh, we know a rumba two. I don't, I think it was a rumba two. I can't quite remember. But then they're all like doing this and stuff like this. And, and if you didn't know, you didn't have a clue what was going on. And it felt strange. And even though I had to go in my uh, shoes that I got from A rather than special dancing shoes, it felt really weird so what is important is thinking how we can welcome as a church. And it's important to think that it actually starts with us individually. It's not down to the leaders. Well, they do a really good job, the leaders, the stewards and the hospitality. They can help lead on this. But each of us contributes into how we put Jesus' message a welcome into action. So, yeah, you'll have Rachel going round, talking to people, careful Joe on the door. That doesn't mean it's sorted, doesn't mean we're welcoming. What do we do? Sometimes I've drifted into church, pushing the boundaries of time, even though I've had time to get a coffee and a croissant. And then at the end, oh, I'm rushing off. But I've been challenged myself as we've read this book. It's absolutely brilliant. How do I welcome And we know there are times where people are struggling and just need to take it easy and come and sit and uh, just do what you need to do. But think how we carry Christ's invitation. Are we like the Pharisees in the story who are pleased to have those prime time seats at the table? And we're worried about anything coming in like the ill man who might ruin it? Or are we looking for those who need welcome? Have we restricted, like the Pharisees do, who we think should come in and who shouldn't? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him should inherit eternal life. That was quoted earlier for us, I believe, by Pat. But also, some people have sort of added a little insert in the Bible. Where it says, whosoever shall believe, but then they put some brackets and gone, but not this person, not that person. And we can each, unfortunately, have challenges of who we think can come to God and cannot. We're putting those barriers. So for us as a church, challenging about how do we welcome? What do we do? Where do we have welcome for people? Not using tables as a way of keeping people out, but by helping people come in. We're going to talk about the table of communion very soon. But also, this could be the table you sit on at lunchtime, at work, or a table at Costa. Other coffee shops are available. Or the table at your home. It could be spending time after the service, sitting around a table, or standing nearby if there aren't seats, chatting to those who are here remember as Christians we are little Christs so our job is to extend the welcome he extended so instead of being tables of barriers we should extend a table of welcome Jesus's death is the ultimate sign of welcome he asked us to come to his table a table that is inclusive and welcoming he opened up his arms on the cross to welcome us with open arms Maybe this is your first time celebrating this through communion. Maybe it's your first time hearing that Jesus died on the cross to get away those barriers that stopped us from getting to him and to God, to stop the idea of sacrificing. You need all those pigeons and the things that they were selling in the temple. If it is your first time, and that's something you want to respond to, please see myself, Will, Kev, uh, Rachel, whoever's bought you, and they'd love to talk to you about that more. But maybe you've celebrated communion a thousand times. Let's listen to the team. So welcome back, team. And they're going to sing about this table of welcome. It's a song that we've done before, and they're just going to sing it through uh, for us to help us think about the table, that Jesus welcomes us through it, but also says, come, come. Come who are weary. Come however you are and be able to come to his table, his table of welcome. So let's hear them. Thank you, team.